Bienvenidex to Merendiando. This week we talked to Toronto-based performance art duo XLQ. XLQ is the body of pop art performance and a lifestyle practice by Jordan Campbell and Maddie Bautista. They're known for having a very unique visual aesthetic, and they're passionate about absurdity and bizarreness and radical creative processes. We talked about money, garbage, and how they generate content. They also successfully converted a live show to a virtual performance. Yes, and that show is called Foreign Exchange Online Edition, and it's streaming on May 15th and 16th in the next couple days. So all the details for that are in the show notes below. You should absolutely check it out. Also, let's talk about what was the MVP of your pantry this week. What was the best quarantine merienda? Yes, for you, Camila. For me? Okay, okay. For me, it was some delicious sourdough bread that my housemates made. So everybody's making bread, okay? Everyone's making bread because it's comforting and delicious. And my housemates have actually been making sourdough bread before this quarantine, so they've kind of perfected it. And I'm lucky enough to be in the position to just eat whatever they make. So I've been eating sourdough bread and it's amazing. Shout out to my housemates for sharing. They're awesome. What about you, Monica? What's your MVP of the pantry? Mine was tajin. And who doesn't know what tajin is? Tajin is like this chili candy powder that you mostly put in on fruit or you can put it on drinks, but I had it with some fruit. And to describe tajin in a more personal way, I will say tajin tastes like a Mexican childhood. <laughs> Delicious. So listener, now it's your turn. Why don't you grab something from your pantry, get cozy, get ready, and let's dive into this episode. I want to guess what XLQ means. <laughs> sure. So my guess is extra large queer. At the time when we made XLQ, we were, Jordan and I were obsessed with performances that make, that can make meaning out of nothing. And so XLQ means nothing, but we made it mean something. So I think that's something we're yes. interested in. You're so right. So well said. We were obsessed with like randomness and things that make no sense because I think in theater school we were like we were being taught so much about like how to make meaning and we were seeing a lot of like really political theater in the scene which is like awesome and totally has its place but we were just like, like obsessed with the way dance and visual art like make meaning out of in such a non-literal way and we really wanted to bring that into our practice. About your aesthetic, you dress as twins like this Yes. Beautiful, uh, bizarre, very surreal twins. <laughs> so how, how does the aesthetic of, of XLQ came to be? That's okay. a beautiful question. <laughs> Where should we start? Oh my God. It's been, we, I feel like we've been on a, on a long aesthetic journey. We met in theater school. We went to theater school together. And um, we started, we wanted to do like, I don't know, wacky things and it started really as like a physical theater company and like we were doing really weird uh, performance arty like imagery and stuff. And we just like quickly realized that like it didn't work unless we were in like looks. Like we had to be like in wigs and in, like it just didn't make sense unless we were in some kind of surreal matching look. And it wasn't even as matchy at first, I don't think. No, um, we started with this super DIY trash drag aesthetic uh, yeah. i think it was available to what to us at the time we were raiding the costume department in our theater school 
And I remember the very first night we decided to go buy wigs. We walked yeah. all the way to this Party Depot store. It took two hours to walk there or something like that. And yeah, we I bought four wigs, two long ones and two short ones. And they we were matching in style. We still have them. Mm-hmm. And I think once we found the wigs, we found um, the, the looks that we were interested in. We just started collecting like pieces of clothing that were on sale that really spoke to us. Uh, whenever we shop and we look for um, for a new item, we say, okay, does it say XLQ? Does it demand to be brought home with us? And I think that's what constitutes our aesthetic is it's fully driven by Jordan's and my pleasure and our sense of just pleasure. Like, oh yeah, that it feels good to look like this or dress like this. From what I see of you guys, there's such a playful energy and a really, ple- like it's tangible from a, a, someone who's observing you that there's a lot of pleasure there. It like trans- transmits. And that's such a, a cool, that's one of the things that make you so interesting as a duo. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think that's definitely what we've always followed is our pleasure. And, and I know we sometimes look really glamorous now and we have some money now. We bought some beautiful sequin things and that's all really great. But definitely at the heart, it's like a punk, trash, glamour aesthetic. Like we never want to look sort of like beautiful, like pageant drag queens. Like we don't want to look like we just always want to be a little messy, a little like fun and free and like barefoot or whatever. Like we just want to, it's just fun. Like we don't want to look like we we want to be comfortable and fun. <laughs> so how was like our rehearsal with XLQ? So XLQ, we started our rehearsal or creation process with a training that we sort of devised for ourselves. And the training consists of running, dancing, moving really slow to music, and finally playing. And playing constitutes of a few different parts. We do mirroring where we mirror each other and that's where the twin aesthetic almost comes from and the twin aesthetic in a performance comes from. So we mirror each other and we do that for a while and then we do this activity called patterning. So we set up patterns, we exchange patterns, we subvert them. And then once we have done all of these steps, we finally play and playing is improvising, whether it be dancing or doing a weird bit of performance. And we usually almost always start our creative process with that training. And I think that's why in our shows, there's big elements of improvisation. And it depends show to show. Foreign exchange is super structured. Um, like um, the, uh, we, are, we give the audience a structure in the first half of the show. And in the in-person version, there is a play improv section at the very end. But in other shows like Power Plant and our more cabaret style shows, some of them are like completely improvised. Maybe with a few things like, for this ending section, make sure that you find a way to get into your this blue dress. And when you're in the blue dress, we know it's about to end. So we might give ourselves markers like that, but a lot of it is trusting and making sure we don't forget how to improvise with each other. Very cool. I'm seeing that in more recent self, like descriptions that you've written for yourself. I was really compelled by the phrase, you are a pop art performance lifestyle. 
So like, what is lifestyle? Can you talk to me about lifestyle? That was, yeah, that was something we talked about a lot and early on. It was like, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Excellent Q is like how we see the world and how we, um, it's all part of our like party aesthetic in the early years when we were kind of philosophizing around what this was all going to be. Our attention was always that it was going to be like a lifestyle and a community. Everything's based in like, like this kind of culture of like being really famous and glamorous and awesome and free and like it's the pop art idea of like everything is art everything is pop culture it's sort of like a like a satire of pop culture but with this like performance art vibe like you know like we wear our costumes like out to parties like it's all that's what i'm saying it's all it's all wrapped into one like i don't separate my clothing from like what's like an xlq outfit and what's just like something i would wear on a daily basis so i think that's kind of like where the lifestyle comes in it's like yeah it's part of who we are it's not like um a character or a costume like they talk about in theater a lot it's like it's us it's like a yeah. heightened of us. it's a lens through which we both see the world you know we, we we refer to it as the sunglasses it's the sunglasses that we see the world through yeah yeah that's a good way to put it so then when does the performance end? Never. <laughs> no. But like sometimes? No. Sometimes, yes. I mean, I think um, the ability to put on and off the wigs and take on and off the clothing is like, especially in quarantine times, I have to say, like performing alone in my bedroom and feeling so vulnerable and, um, you know, in performance mode for like an hour on Zoom. And then all of a sudden I'm back in my bedroom, like the process of taking off all the costumes and resetting my room was like really important to sort of be like, okay, now this is just my bedroom. I'm not at work. I'm not performing. Cause that's the other thing. It also has become our job too. So sometimes you do have to stop performing. I don't think it's healthy. This, if anything, this quarantine is teaching me is to really figure out how to slow down and how to not do as much or feel like I need to do as much all the time. So that's a journey I'm definitely on. Um, similar to Maddie, up and down. Sometimes I feel really inspired and I want to make something. And sometimes I really don't. And I think as artists, especially in the theater community right now, we have a really unique opportunity with so many of us being on CERB or being in, like, to really, I don't know, like, uh, choose what we want to work on and figure out what we actually want to do and not just what we always have to do to kind of make rent or whatever. So, or feel like there's a pressure to do so much. Like, I don't think people expect as much from us right now. And we have this opportunity to really redefine what we actually want to do and what we don't have to do. We've built a lovely ritual around taking off the wigs and taking off the costumes in some performances. And I think that's become super symbolic in also peeling off ourselves. Like, peeling off XLQ and being like the XLQ is still like very much alive in those wigs and the makeup that we put on but then when you peel it off it feels like okay I can also turn off. How are you creating during this pandemic times? Are you finding that easy or not easy? Hmm. Um, I think honestly it depends. Sometimes it's not easy. There uh, like day by day, even like hour to hour, my mood feels like it, it's like changing and switching. Like at this moment, I find it easier to create. I've been like writing on Google Docs. I switch all of my Google Docs over to dark mode. So even the pages are black and the text is white. So now oh, cool. it's really 
easy for me to create because it's easy for me to look at the computer. Yeah, I hear it's better for your eyes, right? When you set that setting. Mm-hmm. Pro tip. And a couple of weeks ago, um, we were making for an exchange with Jord, who's here, and also Catherine Walker-Jones. And the, that process was like ups and downs, which is so cool. We were like discovering what it is to create in quarantine. Uh, we, we saw you did a show called Tra- Trash Sanctuary. How did that came to be? Like, what was the inspiration behind that show? Why are you so into trash? Good question. Um, trash Sanctuary is an art an art party we did three times. It was just inspired by garbage and recycled materials. Why are we so attracted to the trash glamour aesthetic? I don't know. It's probably what we could afford at one point. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's how it started. <laughs> Definitely, the, yeah, the first party we were like, okay, everything we made out of recycled materials, like this trash sanctuary. Like looking trashy, wearing garbage bags as wigs, good, like popping armholes into garbage bags and a head hold, bam, outfit. And so we we're yeah. like, oh, okay, so this is what we can do with garbage. Obviously not very nuanced, but with trash sanctuary, we were like, what else can people do with their garbage? And I think especially now that there's like so many beautiful, stunning, polished drag performers and queer performers, like, which are great. I just, but I think that's sometimes made us even more want to be more trashy and like not glamorous. It also gave them an opportunity to people to create characters, right? Cause I, well, I saw some of the pictures and some people that I know some of the characters, they still do them like Brock. Yeah. What is Brock's character's name? Uh, it's, it, Brock's character's name is Helen, like Helen, but like Helen. Helen. Yeah, that character started at our first Trash Sanctuary party and is like continued on because it's like so brilliant. It's like a, all made of, it's like this whole look made of diapers. And yeah, I don't know. Our friends are so cool and creative. That was, that's a really good part of our like community moment was like, that was all about kind of bringing people together, like just all our artist friends to do this party. And again, it just makes it accessible to everyone that like we can all just use recycled material. But it's also what we want to do too. Like we don't want to buy pretty things. Like, I don't know, it's just, it's just more interesting to us, I guess. I think some of my favorite memories of curating the very first Trash Sanctuary, the very first Trash Sanctuary happened in this DIY space at du- near, du- near DuPont and Spadina. What was it called again? DuPont and Dufferin. It was called Brandscape. It's Thank still around, you, Brandscape. Oh, yeah. And at the time we were like, okay, how can we make this accessible like price-wise or at least try to make it physically accessible within the confines of the building? And also like, how do we fully embrace Trash Sanctuary? And at the time, Brie Rappaport is a lovely, who is a lovely visual artist who is based in Kingston now, uh, also works as a chef, was like, why don't we use like recycled or trashy foods? So the food that we served were like uh, foods that would have been thrown away. There's a syrup that she made for the drinks and everything. Like, obviously, we didn't pick up garbage and just <laughs> serve it to people, but um, within like, safety what are what are things what are scraps that we can use to serve folks and that was really cool i was like oh yeah food like 
how do we push the envelope thematically and go all the way? Do you have any plans or dreams about what art parties in the future could be like? Yeah, we took over producing this party called Body Break that happens at Theatre Pass Marai. And we, I should say Body Break was a party that Anandam Dance Theatre ran for years that um, us and another dance company called Half Second Echo have, have taken over now. Um, it's an amazing like cabaret style party um, that happens like all over TPM. We like produced and hosted uh, a version of that about a year ago. And we, we did have plans to do another one um, in April, but obviously that's been, you know, shut down for now. Like all of the Trash Sanctuary parties were like installation based. They didn't have like stop and look performances. They were all like one-on-one -on -one pieces or installations ongoing. So that's just an area that we're super interested in because it's more intimate and it's just different from a lot of the queer parties you go to where there's like a drag show at midnight. It's like a, just a more kind of durational form. We do, we've actually done a lot of like durational work or like um, public work, stuff that's just like exists in different like time frames and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's just definitely an area. And and also definitely with Trash Sanctuary and with, all, with Body Break and the other, um, but yeah, definitely a, um, a sort of like thing we like to focus on for those parties is like just people who wouldn't otherwise have a space to do that kind of performance. Like uh, it's just like weird stuff, stuff that wouldn't fit into a traditional like format. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Foreign Exchange is a very interesting show. And you just announced that you're going to have two new performances that people can tune into. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're doing two more shows on May 15th and 16th. And um, we're gonna do, because it sold out so fast last time, we did seven shows before. There's only four audience members per show. On Monday, May 11th, we're gonna draw people from a lottery to choose the eight final audience members for this, for this run of the show. And this show is on Zoom right now, but it didn't start that way. So we have some questions about this show. First of all, because I think everybody's trying to move to Zoom or virtually right now. So how was it, like, what was the, the things that you needed to adjust to make it virtual and also were there some compromises while you were doing the show that you're like this is something that we might lose or this is something that we might gain foreign exchange is a show we've been touring for like two years we've been working on it for years so it's a very interactive show and it's for even in real life it's for four audience members as well and it's um it's basically a series of games and activities with the audience that creates a show um and so we spent a long time researching the games and the different kind of mechanics of making, it's like set up like a business meeting. So we spent a long time researching that with lots of test audiences. And when we switched it over to Zoom, we again had to go through that process. We had like, I think maybe seven or eight test shows throughout the rehearsal process to keep testing all the new material. And it really did become a new show, like almost all of the scenes completely changed into a new form that would work on Zoom because a lot of the, sh the real life show is all about playing with, there's a thousand dollars in cash on the table and it's all about playing with the cash. And so we just had to adapt it to Zoom. And that was really important to us, I think, and why we thought this show could adapt to Zoom was because it's so interactive and we just, I don't know, we just didn't want to feel like it was like, we wanted to feel like it was made for Zoom and made for the internet and not just like uh, a sort of like, a bad translation like we wanted it to be like a and we had to really re-choreograph a lot of it and the, like a lot of it changed it's a very different show um apart from also thinking about translating this show about money that's super active online and into zoom a big chunk of things that we were also considering was 
how do we translate the show that we created in more prosperous times? And then how do we um, how do we change that to suit this context of entering a recession? At, right at the time when we were making foreign exchange, Serb had not yet rolled out, um, or people were having initial problems with it. So a big thing that we were thinking of is, um, A, how do we create a super playful interactive space for people on Zoom and make that feel like relaxing and safe? And the second is, now that we're on Zoom, how do we talk about money in this particular context? And how do we be sensitive and generous while talking about this thousand dollars? Can I ask, what have you learned about money throughout your process with this show? It's very, very personal. It, it brings up a lot of things for people. People have very different relationships to money and very different you know, understandings of like, like sometimes people really want to know like, where did this money come from? And where is this, like people are really curious about where things come from and where things are going. Or sometimes people don't care, it's all the same to them. Like everyone has a very different understanding of money and it's important to be really transparent and really clear. Um, people often want to know <laughs> all the little gritty details when we're talking about money in a way that they wouldn't with other things, I think. Yeah, I've been tracking my relationship to money as we're slowly doing this show. The very first experience of when I had a different experience of cash was like early on in the process when we were still creating for an exchange, I looked at cash and went like, this isn't cash. How does this mean anything? And I think the very first time I felt the show's effects on me was when I thought about physical cash as something ridiculous. Um, the second incident of a changed relationship to money because of the show was uh, we did a bunch of the shows in Winnipeg. And um, to celebrate, we went to, um, we went to Bannock Babes drag show. And that night we tipped Bannock Babes so much money. Like my relationship to cash was broken at that time. I was like, this isn't nothing. This is nothing. Like, of course I'll give away this money. And then I woke up the next day being like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my goodness. This, 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 it, I think it's like, um, I started tying money to the idea of energy and happiness and I was like okay if I feel joyful I will spend this money because it it's just like a token right and then the third thing was we were in Kitchener a few months ago and uh, at the end of the show someone bought their friend a door because they didn't have a bedroom door and then I was like oh wait a second money can is like favors but in paper form you know like mm -hmm. yeah it's very emotional it's very personal yeah and and why did you set out to to make this show like what inspired you with this topic i think when we started out this was like maybe in like 2017 or 2016 now it was like a very like anti-capitalist like let's destroy money as a concept kind of mission and we were like, we'll have a thousand dollars on the table and they'll, we'll, we'll kind of deconstruct and like destroy our relationship to it. Which I think for me, as Maddie was saying, like that did happen. I definitely have a different relationship to cash, but I still, 
there's a disconnect between like my relationship to cash and then the actual like numbers in my bank account. Like that's a different thing. And that's what was like an interesting thing I learned is like, I'm still really emotionally tied to like how much, what numbers is in my bank account and how many, how many of those numbers I need to pay rent and this and that. And that seems so divorced from like the cash on the table. But as the show went on, like the show is about money and value for sure, but it's actually really about connecting and about people being together and connecting and and it's about what do you want and what do you want to change so the show really took on a very different sort of goal and and mission and 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 especially now in the online version it was really about bringing strangers together from sometimes all over the country or sometimes all over the world to connect in a fun way and to support each other and the money is just sort of a catalyst to bring up personal things like a lot of the show is asking questions to the audience and sometimes they're really personal questions so a lot of the show is about sharing and exchanging and it's called four in exchange and we say you are the four in exchange and it's about four people exchanging and it's really not about money in the end even Mm -hmm. though that's sort of the aesthetic i guess i'm really curious for each of you to answer what excites you about the future right now i'm really looking forward to a world where binaries and our imagination around binaries start to melt. It's it's really small, but I was playing Animal Crossing one day, and one of the loveliest things about Animal Crossing is that they don't assign binaries necessarily to the players who play the game. They have complete agency over which clothes they want to wear, how they want to physically express themselves. And I believe Animal Crossing also uses they pronouns for the players too, automatically, which I find really cool. And so I think in the wider world, I'm really excited for mainstream things like games like Animal Crossing to start like embracing those. I I think it's those really small details that change our outlooks. I'm excited for when the when the live performance community gets to really rebuild and restart that it's an opportunity for us to to restructure things and to um to be comfortable doing less but also to really look at just how it's all working. I've been thinking a lot lately about what it actually takes to do a performance project from beginning to end, um, from all the preparation to the rehearsal, to the performance, to all the time it takes after a performance to unwind and come down and process all of that. And how so often in Toronto, we don't have time for those stages. We're like doing a show and then next week we start a new show and then there's another show and then we have two shows one night and we're all kind of hustling and it's just part of the culture here. And I think, yes, a lot of that is because we're trying to make Uh, rent in Toronto and this and that and we want to do a lot of things but I think we we create this culture for ourselves where we feel like we need to be doing so much and I don't know a a mentor of mine Christina from Generator said this to me the other day and she said she said uh, our project has like the four seasons like you go through the four seasons but you're often only paid for summer so I just thought that was a beautiful way to look at it and I was like let's change that you know like let's get paid for all the seasons so we can actually do all the seasons and you know just feel comfortable being like you know after we did foreign exchange online i had a week off where i just took an entire week to just chill and process that whole experience and like really feel sad about or or just process all my feelings about it and i never usually get to do that and i was like this is what like it looks like to really 
take care of myself after a show. And I don't think I've ever done that. Like, I think it's an interesting opportunity that we can, we can change things. And I hope that when we do get to rebuild things, we, I know we'll be excited to do a lot of things, I'm sure, but I think we should, we can take this time to really make some exciting changes for ourselves. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm just thinking about that. That's amazing about how stopping right now is making us realize how much we don't stop. Totally. It's going to be interesting once this starts to move again. Yeah. And, and I think it's a very Toronto thing. When we tour to other cities to do theater, it's not the same pace as it is here at all. Like, and at first it was really jarring. Like I remember you know, sometimes we tour to festivals and they were just kind of a lot more chill about the details. Like, oh yeah, we'll figure out the venue. Da, da, da. And we were like, what? Like, what's the venue? Like what? Like, but it actually is fine. Like you actually, we actually don't need to stress so much. Like it's actually, I know this when a city is smaller that a lot of more things are possible, but I don't know. Toronto is just particularly intense. Mm -hmm. We know that. Mm -hmm. So because we're called merendiando, which means uh, taking a snack, uh, we're going to ask you what is your pandemic pandemic snack right now what are you snacking on during this quarantine good question okay consistently oh cookies baking cookies the other month i needed some thread and needle and Camila and i did a trade hmm. and so i walked them some cookie dough and left it on their porch and i left a little bag of uh needle and thread yes. out on my porch i made uh masks out of my bras <laughs> that I don't use trash sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> trash sanctuary. And yes. so, like, literally, I always keep a bowl of cookie, uh, cookie dough in my fridge. It's paying off all the time, every day. Uh, I'm the cookie dough machine. I love that. I've been eating a lot of sour cherry blasters. I love those. Whoa. They're like, what are sour cherry blasters? Like a sour gummy candy. I'll eat like a whole bag till my tongue is sore. Like it's gross, but I love <laughs> candy. I love candy. Amazing. It's getting you through. Okay, well, snack away. Snack away into infinity. Thank you so much for meeting us virtually in the Zoom. Thank you for having us. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you both so much. This podcast is recorded in Toronto or Dogarondo the territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the Wendat Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and nations recorded and unrecorded. We are deeply thankful to these nations for stewarding the land so that we might live in peace and respect for each other. As it is outlined in the Dish with One Spoon Wampum, that all people who live here, settlers, indigenous folks, and others, must adhere to. Radio Aluna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theater with the support from the Metcalf Foundation, the Late Law Foundation, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Toronto Arts Council. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Schwellness, with Sue Ballant and Gia Namens. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Camila Diaz Varela and Monica Garrido. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca, follow at alunatheatre, on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Follow and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts.